Our Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray we would be um, united with one heart, um, longing to see Christ and his glory, and longing to be changed by your word. So, Father, may your spirit do that word, do that work within us today. Continue your great work of sanctification within us, even making us more like Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn to James chapter 5. Um, we'll read from verse 13 through to the end. <clears throat> this will be our, our last um, time in James for now. Um, next week, we will begin a series on Hebrews 11 on faith, um, which will take us right through to the end of the summer. Um, but for now, we will go to James chapter 5 um, and read from verse 13. <clears throat> this is God's word. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. <clears throat> now as we come to the close of this letter from James, as I said last time, James has come full circle as he brings us back to the theme of prayer and suffering. His desire is that believers would grow together through suffering towards an undivided heart of devotion to God. If I was to, to sum up this closing section, it would be simply this. To say to the believers, to say to this fellowship, stick together and pray together. Stick together and pray together. Believers who have been brought together in Christ and are living in close fellowship, stick together, keep doing that, and pray together. We cannot miss the emphasis on prayer in this final section. Just look through with me. Verse 13, James says, let him pray. And verse 14 
he says, call for the elders and let them pray. Verse 15, James refers to the prayer of faith. Verse 16, he says, pray for one another. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. In verse 17, using the example of Elijah, he said Elijah prayed fervently. And verse 18, then he prayed again. James is clearly wanting us to think about prayer in the local church. But I believe the situation that James is referring to here is an unusual situation. And so we want to take some time to think about what this is and then strive to make some application for us. So we'll take each verse in turn. Firstly, verse 13. Is any one of you suffering? He should pray. Now James has already highlighted um, at the beginning of chapter 5 specific ways the believers were suffering. And he called them there to endure patiently in view of the Lord's return. And now he says, if you're suffering, pray. It's what he encouraged the believers to do right back at the beginning of chapter 1. Those who, who meet various kinds of trials, they, they should ask God for wisdom. They should pray. Then he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. James is, is saying simply in this first verse, acknowledge God in all our circumstances. You remember in chapter 4, how we were encouraged not to be proud or boastful about our life or plans. And similar here, I believe James is saying, whatever comes your way, acknowledge God's control in this. If you're suffering, turn to him in prayer. If you're experiencing joy, thank him that in his control, he has allowed you this. Okay, so all good so far. Then James says, verse 14. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And verse 15, let or the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Well, this is great news. If you're sick, just call the elders to pray for you, and you'll be restored to full health. Now, I'm sure you know I'm going to say it's not quite as simple as that. What I believe is happening here is an unusual situation where God has sent suffering because of sin as a means of humbling the one who has sinned and leading them towards repentance. God has sent suffering because of sin as a means of humbling the one who has sinned and leading them towards repentance. Now, that statement's probably enough to keep you listening. 
I believe it's similar to the situation in Corinth. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 11 for a moment, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28, in the context of the Lord's table, Paul says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and eat and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body and drinks just himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So the situation in Corinth, the believers, they're looking out for themselves. They're failing to properly care for brothers and sisters in the fellowship. And Paul says it's not appropriate to, to come around the Lord's table with such a self-centered attitude. And because you've been acting in this way, some of you have been made ill. So let me take a little time to explain why I believe the situation in James is similar. In verse 15, James says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, the word save that is used there is most often used in Scripture to refer to spiritual salvation or healing from soul sickness. And James continues, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So we're presented here with with a connection between sin and healing. If we continue verse 16, therefore, so connecting it to verse 15, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So here James uses the word healed, most often used to refer to physical healing. And again, we are faced with this connection between sin and physical healing healing. Surely it would have seemed more natural to use healed in verse 15. So the prayer of faith will heal the one who is sick. And then to use save in verse 16, confess your sins that you may be saved. But it seems that James has chosen his words to allow us to see a connection between sin, sickness, and restoration. Then if we go to verses 17 and 18, James uses the example of Elijah. He says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now this is referring back to 1 Kings 17 and 18. And in 1 Kings 17, we see God work in amazing ways through prayer. 
So you may know the story that Elijah was sent to Seraphath um, where a widow would provide for him. And Elijah asked this widow for some bread and water. But the woman replied, she said, I have nothing baked and all I have left is a handful of flour and a little oil in a jug. This was the last she had and she said she was going to prepare it so that her and her son could eat it and die. But Elijah said to her, he said, go and make something. And he brought the word of the Lord to her, saying, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And it happened just as the Lord had said. Then after this, the son of the woman became ill and died, and she blamed Elijah for this. And so Elijah, he cried out to God, pleading for God to give the boy life again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again. It was an amazing answer to prayer for healing. But yet, it is not this incident that James draws attention to. James draws attention to the drought and the rain that Elijah prayed for. So we've got to ask, why did God send drought on the land? Well, 1 Kings 18 gives us the answer. The king was Ahab, and we're told that King Ahab, along with the people of Israel, they were sent drought because they had abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. And as Elijah gathered the people together at Mount Carmel, he was gathering there to prove that the Lord alone is God. This is what he says to the people. He says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, well then, follow him. You see, the drought came to God's people as God's judgment on their sin, living with one foot in God's camp and another foot in Baal's camp, living with an undivided heart. And this judgment came upon them in the form of drought that they might recognize their sinful ways, repent, and turn back to God. Now, that is why I believe James draws attention to the rain over the healing of the widow's son. Can you see how this is similar to James' situation? God sent sickness to the people that they might recognize their sinful ways, repent, and turn back to God. Now, let's remind ourselves... What were the believers doing that was so wrong? Well, we go back to James chapter 4, verse 1. James says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The believers were quarreling 
and fighting. They were trampling upon one another. They were devouring one another. And yet it seems God loves his people so deeply, he was prepared to send sickness that they might turn from their ways and be restored to close fellowship again. Now, yes, this is an unusual situation, but if anything, it highlights to us the value and the importance of unity in the local church. You see, it should cause us great distress when we see the apple of God's eye, as God himself refers to his people in Zechariah 2. It should cause us great distress when we see the apple of God's eye quarreling and fighting and trampling upon one another. And so James' advice to these people, he says, when this situation arises, call the elders of the church and let them pray over you, anointing you with oil. The, the phrase pray over, I believe, is, is nothing more than physical posture. It seems from the information we are given, um, these people are ill enough that they're probably lying down. They're probably not able to get up and go to the elders, hence they call the elders to them. And so I think pray over is, is maybe simply the elders are standing while the person who is ill is lying or sitting. And then we're told the elders are to anoint with oil. Now oil could be for medical purposes, although if they could be cured with some ointment, it may not then be necessary to call the elders to them to pray in this way. Oil is also used in Scripture as a symbol of consecration or, or setting apart as holy, which I believe fits much better with the context we have built here. For someone who is sinning in the way described, it would seem appropriate to have a symbol of setting apart again to God and dying to sin. Now let's read verse 15 again. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now in this verse we have the certainty that God will bring healing. And so this is the final and for me perhaps the most key argument that there must be in this instance a connection between sin and sickness. Because for sickness outside of this unusual context what certainty or what guarantee from Scripture do we have that God will bring healing? I don't think we have any. But we know for sure that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, First John 1. Do you see my point? The only way we can have certainty of healing is if the sickness is connected to sin. So that when sin is recognized and repented of, then the sickness will be gone. 
So hopefully this helps to highlight the unusual situation presented here in James. We have a person or persons who have been destroying God's family, brought low in sickness by God, and are restored through blessing sin. Now, I want to try and bring some application for us today. And the first point of application is this. Don't be quick to make connections between your sickness and sin. I say again, I believe this was an unusual situation. And to put your mind at rest, to the best of my knowledge... I don't believe there is anyone currently within our fellowship that fits into the situation that has been described. And also, don't be quick to make connections for others. You know, looking at others who are ill and and making the, the somehow wise suggestion that this illness has come upon you because you were involved in this sin. No, don't do that. Nor should elders make such assumptions. Notice how James puts this. It is for the individual who has become aware of their own sin to go to the elders or other members and confess their sin. It's not the other way around. Second point of application. Do not take this as a proof text that God will heal. Perhaps you've heard someone say at some point or other, or you've heard... This happened, and they'll say, I really, I believe God is going to heal you. I believe God wants to heal you. I mean, just think about that. Who are we to say that? Now, I'm not saying that we can't ever humbly ask the Lord for healing. But we don't come to God in prayer commanding and demanding and and telling him what he ought to do. And the truth is that if you are claiming with certainty that God will bring healing and we're using this text, then what you are saying to the individual with ill health is that you're sinning in such a significant way, you're causing havoc among God's people and God has struck you with illness that you might repent. But rather, what I believe we should be doing, listen to what one commentator says. He says, the sick room is no time for unconditional predictions of what the Lord will do. He says, the tender spirit of the sick must be protected from, rather than exposed to the brashness of confident predictions. You, you see the point? When, when one of our members is, is led aside in, in illness, our, our first response is, is not to declare to them what God is going to do to claim healing for them, but it's to draw alongside with love and tenderness and compassion, and to gently care for them how we can. And you know, as we do pray for each other, 
we would do well to remember the prayers that Paul prays for New Testament believers. To Romans 15, Paul prays the believers would live in harmony with one another. He prays they would be filled with joy and, and peace as they focus on what God is doing in the gospel. In Ephesians 1, Paul just bursts out in, in prayers of praise for all the spiritual blessings that God has lavished upon believers in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays for spiritual strength for the believers that they would be strengthened from within by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Or Philippians 1, Paul prays that believers would abound in love for one another so they may grow together to become more like Jesus Christ. Or to the Colossians, Paul gives thanks for spiritual fruit in their lives, in the lives of the believers, and then he goes on to pray that this would continue. Or to the Thessalonians, Paul gives thanks because their faith is growing, because their love for one another is growing. And then he prays that the Lord Jesus would be glorified in their life. We can see a very clear focus of prayer through the New Testament. And the focus is not healing. The focus is the fellowship of God's people. Growing closer in love for one another. Growing closer to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And if I'm not mistaken, the focus of James here is the fellowship of God's people. Growing close together and becoming more like the Lord Jesus. Having an undivided heart, as James would put it. third application is this. Do come to our elders here if you are struggling with sin, if you've become aware of sin and you're perhaps struggling to get past guilt or just simply struggling to know what to do to move forward. The greatest encouragement I have in my role in church is when someone comes to me and says, I'm struggling with this sin, can you help me? And it encourages me for two reasons. Firstly, it is evidence that God is at work in their heart. And secondly, it tells me this person wants to be changed. Now, obviously, you don't need to come to an elder to receive forgiveness from God, but our calling is to lead spiritually, and we want to help you and support you as you strive to grow spiritually yourself. Fourth application is this, very briefly and simply. If you have sinned against one another in some way, go to each other and confess your sin. Go to your brother, go to your sister, say, look, I realize what I've done, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? doesn't matter how big or how small it may seem. And so the fifth application, if someone comes to us confessing and repenting, we forgive them. We don't feel smug that they've come to us to apologize. We forgive them. And then what do we do? We join together in prayer. You see, the focus is that we will grow close together as a fellowship. 
The prayer of a righteous man, that is the prayer of people, has great power. It brings great restoration, even sanctifying power to change our hearts. Finally, verses 19 and 20. Look at it with me. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It seems there are those among the fellowship and they're living as if they're not God's people, perhaps stained by the world as we saw in James 1, living like an enemy of God as we saw in James 3. They're even deserting the truth. They're, they're leaving doubt. When you look at their lives, we're in doubt whether they really belong to God or not. And when this is evidence, James says, we should go after them and bring them back, that their soul be saved. There might be evidence of true saving faith. And James says this will cover a multitude of sins. The meaning of cover here, it's a bit like we sometimes will set money aside for something else. So perhaps we set money aside in the summer months to cover the cost of heating in the winter months. And so there's, there's no worry about the bill coming because there's, there's adequate money to cover the cost. It's like James is saying here, as you bring people back, make sure they know that all their sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. His payment was total and sufficient. We read in Hebrews 10, Christ offered for all time a single Sacrifice for sins. The sacrifice was himself. And so as we leave James, we've been challenged. Our sin has certainly been exposed. But as we strive on, may we stick together. May we pray together. And may we know that every sin of ours too is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Loving God, we are so thankful for your words to us again. And Father, as we um, just strive to to get our heads around a, a tricky passage, we ask for your spirit to continue working in our hearts. Father, we pray most of all that you would give us a deep love for each other, that our fellowship would continue to grow close together, that in turn together we might become more like the Lord Jesus. Father, where we have struggled with sin, where we continue in sin, may we find rest in knowing that Jesus' blood is adequate to cover every sin. And Father, where there are those among us who are suffering and ill, we think of Rosemary just now in hospital, Father, we pray that you would give us love and care and tenderness and gentleness to just support her 
and encourage her on in the Lord in these days. And for any of us, God. So, Father, continue your great work. Sanctify us. Work from within us, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen.